Welcome to the Lila Life Show. This is your host, Linda Andrews, and thank you so much for tuning in. With any episode that we have, whether it's a solo cast or a guest expert interview, my intention is for you to be able to anchor into yourself, to ground into yourself, and to explore, whether that's a new concept, an idea, whether something's intuitive in you going off, or there's just something that you hadn't thought of in a different way before. I hope you get to explore curiously, to sense make, and to activate something in yourself that you hadn't had activated. Enjoy today's show. As always, please like, share, subscribe, do the thing, and we hope to help support you consciously up-leveling in your life and business, the Leela way. Welcome to the Leela Life Show. I am your host, Linda Andrews, and I'm excited to bring you another beautiful episode today. We have Martin Ali Sims. He is a neurosequential sports specialist, sports-based professional and youth development, mental health consultant, founder of the Dope Academy and coaches for mental health. Welcome to the show. So great to have you, Martin. Thank you. So great to have you have me. Thank you. Yes, and happy new year. I feel like we're getting... um, the past couple episodes, just like a dose of reconnecting with values, purpose, mission, vision, well-being, pulling that into business. Those are the typical audience that I'm talking to, but the new year, it always feels a little extra supercharged. Uh, I, I, there's so much we get to unpack today, but I'd love to start with a little bit about your origin story and you have quite the list of specialties and focus areas. So how did you get to where you are? The short version, of course. Uh, the short version is I found out that my wife was pregnant and then two days later I tore my ACL. And so, you know, at the time I was a personal trainer, I was working with a lot of clients, but, uh, my specialization in personal training was corrective exercise. So I would basically help athletes or former athletes or elderly people basically realign their muscles, joints, and all of that to be able to perform in the gym. So it's like physical therapists plus personal trainer put together. You're helping people recover from injury or some overuse type of uh, condition, whether it be sitting down all day or like phone. Yeah, overuse of of the texting or the phone. Right, they call it technique. But what we do is we, in corrective exercise, you come up with a set of programming that helps realign the joints and the muscles and whatnot. And especially if you've been injured, that causes like scar tissue and things of that nature. You want to keep the range of motion. So when I tore my ACL around that time, uh, I no longer had basketball, which was probably my biggest anti-drug it was my anti getting in trouble I it was my stress reliever basketball has always been a place I can go I, I called it my sanctuary but when I tore my ACL I no longer had that sanctuary to go to and I have a baby on the way and a pregnant wife in the house so it's just a lot of things at the same time and as we went through maybe like the first trimester into the second trimester I was starting to really feel the effects of the injury not knowing when I can have my surgery because she's pregnant, like just trying to you know, weigh the the practical things that we were dealing with, her being pregnant, me having a torn ACL. And so we eventually 
ended up going to therapy. We started doing couples therapy at the time. And that was, it wasn't so much couples therapy. It was like, okay, I'm helping you and I'm helping you and I'll help you guys together. Right. And so it, it felt as if some of the things that were coming up in these therapy sessions was just bringing up a lot of past childhood trauma things that I probably know that was affecting me. I didn't realize it was affecting so many other people in those ways. I felt like the ways I was coping with it was more like internal. Mm-hmm. But I, in therapy, I started to see that it was, you know, it was affecting other people. It was affecting, but that was a part of why I wanted to go to therapy. Now that I got a baby on the way. I'm like, hey, look, both of my parents love me and I know it. But that doesn't mean that they still didn't do things or neglect to do things that I had to recover from. Mm-hmm. And some of those things that they did or didn't do was probably unknowingly or unconscious. I didn't want that going into my son being here. I was like, at least want to be conscious about it so I could do something about it. Mm-hmm. Well, my therapist eventually started saying the childhood trauma stuff was causing me to have dissociative behaviors. And she started being able to label things. And I'm like, okay, well, I what is dissociative like what does that mean especially for somebody that's sitting in a therapy session like I have no idea what this association means and so when it was first described to me I didn't understand it because you telling me that my brain automatically shuts off and checks out of something on its own and so and that's due to my childhood trauma yet when I check out with my wife on something that I'm now just not understanding is a dissociative behavior. This isn't necessarily something that I should check out on. It's something I should engage in. It's something that we should have a conversation about. And I'm not thinking that my behaviors are dissociative. I'm just thinking like, Hey, look, that's overwhelming for me. Like we can talk about it later. Right. Uh, So when I find out what this association is, it makes me, I don't know if shameful is the word embarrassed or anything. It's just, how do I do something about something my brain does, does automatically? Mm-hmm. That's the question. Like, yeah. disassociation doesn't make sense to me because you're telling me my brain did it automatically. Yet here I am looking like I missed out on something that I was supposed to be present for, but my brain checked out automatically and I'm in trouble. That's what it seems like. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like, how- like something you can't even control. Right. So if you're telling me if those are the things, then how do I combat that? And it troubled me for sessions. And I'm like, what do? So then my my therapist said, hey, look, I'm reading this book called The Boy That Was Raised as a Dog. And this doctor knows all about this association. He talks about his neuroscientist guy. He deals in childhood trauma. Uh, you should read this. Maybe it'll help you understand this association better. So I'm like, okay. I read, I just watched the first YouTube on Dr. Bruce Perry and I think the rest is history because I've been working with him pretty much, not, I wouldn't say ever since I read the book, but literally since I understood his neurosequential model, I, it helped me understand. Now, I'm going to bring that back to the correlating part of the corrective exercise. Yeah. Corrective exercise has a formula. You're supposed to inhibit the overactive muscles. Generally, if you have some type of joint, there's an imbalance in it. If there's an imbalance, there's an overactive muscle controlling the joint and an underactive muscle controlling the joint. If it's overactive, it's conco- this is causing the imbalance. So you have to relax the overactive muscle 
and then isolate the underactive muscle by itself. The only thing underactive, you have to isolate it and strengthen it in a way that it's the only thing that's doing the work. And then after you do those things, you have to integrate them together. You have to integrate the movement together. So anyway, that formula was the same thing as the neurosequential model, except I was only dealing with muscles, joints, bones, and it wasn't the same words at all, but it was the same principles. And so when I really saw what was going on with it, uh, this is what's happening in the brain, and this is the sequence that things are happening. And if you have some trauma, if you, what happens is you have some type of overactive reaction, you have a oversensitized reaction to things. And then if you're overly sensitive or overly reactive in a certain type of way, there's other actions or reactions that you could have that aren't developed because you overly respond in this way. Mm -hmm. So you don't get a chance to explore the other ways that you could respond to this stimulus. And so like that made sense to me. So it's like, okay, so if you're treating this trauma, how do you get a chance to relax these overactive reactions that aren't quite happening or happening in the way that you're responding to them because you're responding from the trauma? And so then you can relax those and then whatever those underactive reactions, the ones that you could use in these situations, how do you strengthen those in the spaces of itself, right? And then you get to integrate those things into certain actions. You use the overactive things that you've now calmed down and the underactive things that you've now strengthened and you start moving them into integration. And you know, integration is this big word and when you're doing these uh ceremonies or you're doing anything like that and they always talk about integration and I'm like everything just comes back full circle anyway and so ultimately that's how I know that's not the short version but that's how it connected for me to where like that was my aha moment to where I just include all the things like neurosequential model I get into metaphysical anatomy and all of these things which is metaphysical anatomy is like the emotional body like different body parts representing different emotions or different uh traumatic reactions sometimes and so all those things come together because i'm already studying the body and the movement of the body and i just know people separate they think mental health is mental health and that's separate from physical health like the brain isn't a physical organ and it does not really separate. You actually actually integrate themselves together. So physical health is mental health, and mental health is physical health, and you cannot separate the two. Everything so is that's, connected. That's my soap. I love it. I yeah. and I'm sure there could have been a much longer version. I have one question: How long was that like beginning of that journey for you ago? My son is three and a half. About four years ago. Cool. About, about four years ago. Wow. Four years ago and it's so hmm? I was gonna say what symbolism of like the pregnancy opening up all of this too like your son's birth and yeah, yeah. so I named him Genesis oh, beautiful through that process because through that process I started to recognize like not only our own traumas but uh the traumas of our parents and you know the transgenerational trauma so to speak and so in my research and in my studies of that understanding that if I do enough traumatic work in my life, he don't have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And so then he gets to start over. So that's what Genesis is for me, for him. Beautiful. It's like, 
because I feel like I have to deal with my dad's shit and mm -hmm. my, my granddad's shit. Like, I have to deal with their shit. Mm -hmm. And if I could process it in this lifetime, like, I'm conscious of, you know, my dad didn't have YouTube until he was in his 40s. I've been having it for a while, so I get a chance to watch people get enlightened, understand that, you know, I know what age I'm in. And I'm an Aquarius, so I know we're in Aquarius age. And so I'm aware that the knowledge that I get, I'm supposed to disperse in some type of way. Uh, and you just go from there. So I, I think, I think overall, like whatever opened it up for me, just the, it was actually the injury and the baby at the same time, mm -hmm. because I really can't separate the two both happened in the same weekend. And so both of those were the openings and my goodness, it was such an opening, like, Somebody said like the scars where the light gets in or something like that. Mm -hmm. And absolutely. Like wow. that absolutely was a situation for me. The when you were talking about integrative, my understanding of that word, I know you said integration, but integrative it, to me is everything is connected and it's not just learned, it's lived. Mm -hmm. And that that's what's made a lot of sense to me. I'm curious for you. Was it just natural living it immediately? Like, how was that turnaround time? And when were you like, oh, I'm starting to really get this? A couple of weeks ago. Cool. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's just been a journey. And I, yeah, I think it, uh, it, it has been a journey. Yeah, I have, I, I think I made tremendous strides. I think I've done some big things rather quickly. Yeah. Grand scheme of things, but there's still been quite the journey and the journey of milestones, let's say that. So like, we're not talking about like a destination or anything, but there's like some definite milestones and some, uh, what would I call like checkpoints, so to speak, where it's mm -hmm. like, okay, well, I, I finally passed that point, but I still see there's more to go. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the one that just happened a couple of weeks ago, uh, I haven't shared this yet, but, when I was 14, so here's the real origin story. Not to, this is where the healing starts, right? Mm -hmm. well, first thing. So like two days before Christmas, I I had a basketball goal at my house. I had a basketball goal at my house. I'm 14 years old, but I didn't play basketball until I got to high school. I played soccer my whole life. I love, I was really good at soccer first, right? But I wanted to play basketball really bad, but I got cut both years in middle school so my last year in middle school I get cut I'm 14 years old I decide that summer that I'm going to get a basketball goal and, at my house and I'm going to practice all summer I'm going to make the team next year I get this basketball goal and I practice and I practice and I practice my friends are all over we all play basketball and it just so happens that my house had a street light, like one of the city street lights I had a street light on the street so I put a basketball goal under there we could play all day and all night until we just tired and ready to go in. <laughs> Sun going down doesn't even matter. So here we are. I'm playing basketball that year. Uh, two days before Christmas, I have like three of my friends over. We're just shooting around. And then my neighbor's son from across the street says he wants to play basketball with us. So he's like 33 at the time. And he said, okay, I'm going to go get my brother. So he's going to has to get his brother. And they come outside, so now it's six of us. So I ended up playing on him and the brothers' team, and we played played three on three. We played two games of three on three, and the guy 
had a heart attack and died at my house while we were playing basketball. Wow. Yeah. And so the journey started that at that point because my biggest some of my biggest triggers are Christmas in general. Um and then the whole situation between someone else's loved one passing at my house meant that my part of the story does not, I cannot remove myself from their tragedy. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I have this associative association with them for the death of their loved one. I didn't know him until that day. So I literally saw him for like 30 minutes and wow. then he passed at my house. And so uh being that I was in the ninth grade, I'm 14 years old. This is around like the year 2000, 2000, I think. And mental health isn't a topic. It, nobody thinks about it. Nobody even attributes anything to a mental illness. So at this point, um, I start struggling in school. Uh, I'm not doing well in classes at all, like at all. Basketball, I'm not doing, I couldn't play basketball after that because I did so bad in my class. And so that started a like downward spiral of academic problems, behavior problems. It's like revolving door around academic problems, behavior problems. And I went to end up, end up going to like four different high schools. I played basketball at every one, like basketball. Okay. Right. So like I, I would end up going to a lot of different high schools, but again, academic problems, behavior problems. Uh, but basketball kept me there for as long as I was there. I probably could have checked out far er, way earlier if I wasn't playing, mm -hmm. but some kind of way basketball was this calming effect. It kept me going. It kept me motivated, even though I was struggling so bad in school. I don't feel like either my coaches or my teachers knew what was going on with me because I never shared. But when I started doing the research of like PTSD and ADHD symptoms and mm -hmm. things of that nature. So like, I'm like, I feel like I was dealing with traumatic, uh effects of secondary trauma which at the time i don't have language for so i can't explain it to anybody i'm just going through whatever i'm going through and so i don't feel like there was a support for what i what happened and so that makes me do what i do now to help coaches parents the athletes themselves understand what could be taking place in their brains, in their bodies, that could be contributing to their behaviors. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then once, so my one of my acronyms, I use acronyms all the time to help people understand these concepts is ACT. And so ACT is awareness, connection, then transformation. Like you need to have some level of awareness. So once my therapist told me uh, about disassociation, then it becomes an awareness. First, it was an awareness that pissed me off. And then once I started doing something with the awareness that pissed me off, I'm like, okay, then I started understanding it a little bit more. That led to the Dr. Perry's book and the neurosequential model. And then there was a connection with them. So like it's awareness, connection, and transformation. Once I had a connection with Dr. Perry and the neurosequential model, then I was able to start changing in myself. But I just told you that took like four years mm -hmm. where this past Christmas, I, was no, I wasn't triggered at all. Wow. I then don't get me wrong, I've had to really maneuver myself around Christmas because it's pervasive. Mm -hmm. If you don't deal with Christmas, like in that's a that's a uh difficult time because 
people expect you and want you to be happy, married. It's a season of this. It's a season of that. And and it's literally, it feels like now about 10 weeks long. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. It starts Halloween. It starts. Yeah. I know when I start seeing it because I'm always like, oh, here we go again. And yeah. I know. And I, I hate to say this, but for the last 22, 23 years, I look forward to December 26th. I cannot wait until December 26th. And there was there was years where I wish I could just go to sleep maybe November 30th and wake up January 1 just mm -hmm. to skip the whole December part because mm -hmm. of how uh, emotionally triggering it is for me. Uh, I'll share this not, uh, about the neurosequential model. One of the reasons why it's so big for me is because mm -hmm. around December 23rd, I experienced, uh, that's the day that happened, I experienced like an intense bout of emotions, like far more than I normally deal with, like at all. And there's nobody I can really explain it to. My wife knows about it and she understands it. She tries to understand it as much as possible, but it's not like she's had that experience. And so um, I find myself on that day being very, very just super emotional, like, like, hurting a painful type of emotion mm -hmm. that uh I, I never quite knew what to do with nor know nor how to handle it but now i do so it's it's getting better like the last two years have been the best i want to say the first year after i got into this and understood all of it was the worst the first year i learned about the the first year i had the awareness of Maybe I had the expectation that because I had these awarenesses from a learned perspective and not quite lived, and I'll expound on that lived part that you said. I think the lived part is when you can actually, when you say integrating and integrated part, mm -hmm. is when your nervous system has relearned mm -hmm. a, a different vibration than the one that the trauma caused. Mm -hmm. Because for 23 years, that vibration had been playing, at least if not throughout the year, for sure on the anniversary. Mm -hmm. And so the reason I'm saying this year, maybe last year, uh, was as as good as possible that at least as good as can be today. Maybe next year will be better. Mm -hmm. But as good as it can be today is because I've learned over the last couple of years on how to reset my nervous system to where they aren't as triggering to my nervous system. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like consciously I in my cortex, in my like thinking brain, it makes sense. But in the limbic part of my brain, in the time that when I was 14 years old, the part of the brain that's mostly developed at that time is not the cortex. It's not the part that rationalizes things. It's more of the emotional part of the brain, mm -hmm. emotional part. That is more developed. So my therapist tells me that the reason you have such intense emotional bouts around the date is because that memory is more lodged in your limbic system than any other part of your system. And at that point in time, you don't have the processing power or the processing capabilities of a 25-year-old at 14. So you're not processing the memories through rational thinking either. You're still processing them through the highly emotional part of the brain. And that's why it's so intense. That's why when it comes back, it feels 
like it just happened because that's what that's why it's so intense it feels like it just happened again it feels like i'm reliving it all over again and the other things that go with it what i mean by that is like he died in my house but i didn't kill him mm -hmm. right so that should absolve me of guilt but it doesn't you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I, I didn't kill this man, but he's not living, right? Like, so he didn't get a chance to go back to see his two-year-old. He didn't get a chance to go back to see his wife. His mother was in the house and didn't know what was going on. And we mm -hmm. forgot to tell her that the ambulance was outside for your son. There was a lot of different things that start to, you, you, you still take on with you. And there's nobody to talk to about it. You know what I mean? There's nobody saying, oh, I understand what that's like. No, they don't. Because that's a rare situation. And Absolutely. so um, I hate to, I don't say I hate to use it. I need to use it. And I, I wish it wasn't the case. But when we talk about sexual assault victims or rape victims, when one person says something, someone else says, hey, that happened to me too. Mm -hmm. and so while there is like this, oh, people don't believe the girl because they don't believe her. They start throwing all kinds of stuff. But there is a section of people who say, that happened to me too. Generally, when I tell my story, mm -hmm. there's no one to say, oh, I know what you're saying. Mm. You know what I mean? And so, like it's, like, so it's such a rare, like yeah. so, so rare. Yeah, because I, I have other situations that I've been through that, like, when I talk about what I've been through, there's a conversation because everybody can just tell you what their story of that was like. It's a little and, more relatable. Yeah, more relatable. This one, not so much. And until, so DeMar Hamlin, the guy that played for the Buffalo Bills at, mm -hmm. at the heart situation on the yeah. field, that was the first time that I had a visual uh, that I could tell people, like, I experienced that when I was 14, but the guy didn't survive. Mm -hmm. And so, but people now have a visual to go on. So they have something that is relatable because what you saw when that happened was how the grown men football players on the field reacted to what they saw. Mm -hmm. And that stuck for me is because I'm like, wow, like I dealt with that at 14. Like, you're grown men seeing the same thing that I saw, literally looking so distraught over what they just saw on the football field. He's a millionaire getting paid to just play a game. And they are having the same emotional reaction I had at 14. But again, nobody saw what happened with me. Nobody saw it wasn't a Monday night football game. It was just that. And the guy had his funeral and that was it. So that part of the story is why I think every 13, 14, 15-year-old I meet, I'm healing me through them mm. and because of what I've learned. I can help them like accelerate their journey beyond like being in the dark, not knowing where you are. And I think that's what it is. Like if somebody gives you that awareness, they at least cut a light on. That don't mean you are where you need to go, but at least it lights the way. Mm -hmm. and so, yeah. Well, in you talking about that first year being the hardest, I think that can be common where it's almost like pressure, like, oh, I've, I've gotten here. Like, I'm going to have all these breakthroughs now. I'm healing or I'm healed. And and then it's like, you still have the challenges and it's frustrating. It's like, why didn't this fix quicker? Like, I'm why aren't I okay yet? And, for, you know, some of the stuff I've been through, it could be 
decades, but it's like a little better, a little deeper, the new awareness, like it keeps going. And that to me, I've heard of the term spiral dynamics. It's like the next level, the next layer, and it's going to keep going maybe forever. I think the question that pops up when you had those types of uh, experience, or at least it happened for me, mm -hmm. it's what the fuck is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like now I have the answers. Now I have like, I now have words and language to describe what's going on. So why is this still the same? Mm -hmm. and, I, and it's just what you said. It's like learn versus live. And it, mm -hmm. I love that uh, statement because I think I learned a lot and I, and I know I did. And I had like tremendous breakthroughs throughout the year. And I always brace for that day anyway. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But like that's programmed in you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Because I have to because of how pervasive Christmas is, right? Yeah. You know, family wants to do this, and you know, everybody wants to do that, and everybody's emotionally wound up in the season and I'm emotionally triggered by the season. So it's it's uh I understand when they talk about the fourth of July for veterans. Mm -hmm. I love fireworks. But I understand what triggers are. I understand what they do. Mm -hmm. Um that was as much a part of my studies over the last couple years. Uh how it could just take you immediately back to a space because of you know our cortex is what tells time there's parts of our brain and our body that have memory that don't attach it to any timeline it's just survival and so you could be triggered and immediately be 12 years old mm -hmm. in in response mm -hmm. you know like depending on the trigger and uh me understanding that allows me to really navigate relationships now conversations like everything like I could start recognizing when somebody go into being 12 years old when I'm having a conversation with them or if something happens and I recognize that's what I'm dealing with and then I know the sequence of engagement when you're dealing with somebody that's triggered um and including myself you know what mm -hmm. I mean including myself so triggers happen all the time and I don't mean Everything doesn't trigger a trauma response. The trigger could just be a stress response, right? It could mm -hmm. just trigger a stress response. But enough stress could trigger the trauma response. And so like when you're dealing with those things, because triggers happen for things that you can't control. Because if you can control all the triggers, you never have them. Mm -hmm. So the, the goal is to kind of manage what happens when, you tr when you're triggered and identify and recognize different triggers that happen so you can either avoid them or prepare for them. Right? Christmas is one that you have to prepare for at Halloween. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so. Yeah. I I try to be funny. Like I I do feel there's a part of me that's like an aspiring comedian, but uh this holiday season, I could just feel a lot of very frenetic energy leading into it. I feel like the our reality could be more and more intense. It's just like, whoa, is this this is real life right now? And uh I was thinking about triggers a lot. And how, like, wouldn't it be nice if I could have a list of, like, my 100 triggers and I go to the holidays and I'm like, all right, everyone, here's my trigger list. And, like, please don't trigger me. And I I say it, like, laughing because I think it's funny. Like, it, that can't happen. Like, not everyone can understand. I don't even understand every single aspect of my triggers. But it was, like, a funny visual of, like, the only person that can be with my triggers is me. And 
like, and that can be messy, <laughs> kind of like, and that could take time and it can be all these different things. But that was my imagery of like every, you know, Christmas season comes. And for whatever reason, this Christmas, like I said, felt really intense. It's like, here's my trigger list instead yeah. of the Christmas list. And uh, maybe that could help everyone if we had our Christmas trigger list. I actually think that joke is a great one. It's Thank brilliant. you. <laughs> you get it. Create a meme for it. I'm sure it'll go viral next year. I'm tell. I'm serious. I okay. For it and watch it go. I because I feel like I express mine through what I express. Mine I think mine is unique, but there's a lot of people who deal with the holidays that it's triggering. You know what I mean? And so I admire people who get through. Uh, the holidays with as many triggering things that could, it could be the, the guy who his brother who came to my house to play with him who was doing a CPR and all the things on him before he transitioned he checks on me you know what I mean like he he's literally checking on me and mm -hmm. I admire him so much because you know he also had to bury his uh, parents his dad a couple years ago and then um his mom a few years before that. But the funny thing about it is I developed a really good relationship with that family. Like, not that I didn't know them before, but I, I felt like I, after the incident, I made myself as present as I could for them uh, for whatever reason. So his parents, I got really good with. His, his dad used to vent a lot when he see me. Um, <laughs> I moved away from that house maybe a year and a half after it happened. I could not, I, and it's only in hindsight that I realized it was because I was it was too triggering to be at my mom's house because I would yeah. see his every day. Mm -hmm. But um, when I would go back, anytime I visit my mom, I would go see the family and things of that. So I think me and his dad developed a relationship before he passed. That was pretty cool. Like I think he he would vent all kinds of things to me. And eventually, at some point, I was able to express to him how deeply that night impacted me. Before that, for maybe, I want to say, 15 years before, every year, I would just, or every time I see him and he felt like he needed to express something about his son, because I had the association of him, like, being one of the last people that saw him alive. Yeah. Um, his dad used to share a lot, and he, he was sometimes inspiring, sometimes just downright gut-wrenchingly sad because I saw it out and I, and I never have not felt responsible mm -hmm. um and I don't think that's the logical thought and I think because I know I have never not felt responsible I've, I've always felt responsible some kind of way mm -hmm. uh, that's how I can tell the difference between me rationally knowing that I'm not mm -hmm. me emotionally feeling like I am mm -hmm. and knowing that they're both true even though they're both not you know what i mean mm -hmm. it, as like i know that don't make sense but it, 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 that feels very multi-dimensional to me like yeah. it feels yeah it just it feels like it's it's all it's all of it yeah and i'm i'm glad that you can that resonates with you because i i do experience it all i think i feel i experience uh knowing that you know there's nothing i could have done differently or anything about that that would have changed the outcome so now here's the question that yeah probably that really 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 i want to say haunted me okay for a long time 
why would he come to my house to die? Wow. You know, and like, why me? Right. And I feel like now that question fuels me. <laughs> because the question is, okay, then I had to make meaning out of it. And I think so when we talk about like this multidimensional thing, what did he know about me? It decided he's going to live 33 years and on his final hour, he's going to come to my house. What did he know about me? And so like, I take it now as more of a, uh, there was a message or there's something that needs to be done. And like, I'm going to pass this to you because I feel like this is something that you should, should take. So now when I answer the question, why would he come to my house to die? It was for me to find meaning in it and then share it because something in his spirit knew that he didn't walk this whole 33 years of walking the earth and he decided to come to my house. I had never met him. I knew mm -hmm. his parents, brother. He was a busy lawyer. Uh, and wow. All that type of stuff. And so, you know, it was wow. so, so impactful for me that I, there was a before and after for that for me. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is like, I had certain motivations in life the day before that I no longer had. I had certain beliefs the day before that I no longer had um, because the reality of death is, is is extremely permanent no matter what you think or believe. Mm -hmm. And so... Period. Yeah, yeah period. Yeah. Period. So uh, I, I was having to deal with all of that and the fact that it was so close and the fact that I saw the transition of somebody that we played two good games of basketball. I mean, and we were physically active. People was talking shit. There was, it was great. You know yes. what I mean? It was, it was probably like to this day, some of the most competitive basketball. Like I love competition. It was mm -hmm. that, it was a full on clashing of the Titans and it was super cold. We was in hoodies. It was like 40 degrees. You know what I mean? You it's cold enough to see your breath. You know what I mean? My mm -hmm. hands hoodies, all of that. So now I'll share something too with you about him. I always felt like if I play basketball with people, that I that I'm a pretty good judge of character. If I just play a few games of basketball, like I could pretty much tell you whether we can be friends or not, whether we could do this. I just I could just see so much in basketball. So he was on his brother and I's team at this time. I was really good at basketball, even though it was my first year playing organ. And his brother was pretty good too. And so he, he just was getting rebounds and setting screens and giving us the ball back. That's all he did. He just got the ball, give us the ball back, get in the way, set a screen, give us the ball back. He was such a great teammate. Like I would take him anywhere because I love to shoot, I love to play, and I love anybody that just wants to give me the ball, give me another opportunity. So how many people get a chance to actually meet their guardian angel? Not alone, not not only wow. meet your guardian angel, get to play basketball with. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, to be honest, because the my friends won the first game and then we won the second game. And then we took a break and we never made it to the third game. So I feel like, you know, you can't end in a tie like no matter, <laughs> right, what the, right. you know what I mean? Like, why would you do that? Like, you know, you know? 
One more example of life's comedy and tragedy. Right. But so if you ever heard of like what they call like story uh story branding or something of that nature where how do how do movies get you hooked to where you watch two hours of a movie within like the first two to three minutes of the movie? Mm-hmm. Where they create story loops in your head to where like if they if they say something that opens up a story loop, your brain needs to close it. So since we ended, we we ended this situation in a tie, I've had a story loop for the in my entire life that cannot close because you're supposed to break a tie. You're supposed to break a tie kill nobody say like that. <laughs> I don't understand soccer or hockey or anything. Even if you're not doing a shootout at the end to figure out who won this game, what was the point of leaving one to one? You know what I mean? Like so in swimming, we would have a, a race off. See, like you a, yeah, time trial. We if you tie, you go back and have a time trial. You get it. Yeah. This, this is what I'm saying. So like yeah. Which so in I, swimming at one one hundredth, you know, the tie is also yeah. quite rare. Yes. No. Not but, as rare as this situation. Yeah, no, but I I, I but even in like no basketball games and in ties. It, it yeah. doesn't like Period. no basketball. Yeah. Yeah. Ties, you know, there's a game seven for a reason, right? Somebody's got to get the final, whatever. But I, I feel like that was part of, like you said, life's jokes or uh, whatever, because it's like, okay, the rest, the rest of the game that I'm playing from here on out is the game that I told you why he came to my house to bed. That's it. That's my game. So I get to play this and I do it in sports. I do it in the exact place where it happens. So like I'm constantly paying homage to the moment. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly, you know, honoring it. And I don't have to create an altar. I'm like not into that, but you know, the life is the altar. The work is the altar. So I'm honoring the moments. I'm I'm making it the, is how would I say? Uh, I'm making meaning of it. And it means something to me because that's a part of my healing. Like I'm not going to sit in a bunch of people, therapists, couches and doing therapy in that way. It's not going to work for me. Uh, although I had a great experience with my therapist, it wasn't in that setting type, that type setting, mm-hmm. but um, I have to do the work. And that, that became the meaning of why I was playing basketball in the first place. And I felt like the ACL was the, the next meaning to let me know that <laughs> you're not playing basketball just to play basketball. Cause I, I'm really good at basketball and I really love it. And I really like to play it and I really like to compete. And that was all the way until I tore my ACL. And I feel like the ACL was like God saying like, okay, now it's time for you to do something else and use the sport as, uh, as just a catalyst for the thing that you really are here for. And it's mm-hmm. no longer sports. I didn't listen to God to let you know. I went to play football after that, playing <laughs> football, and I tore my other ACL doing that. And I felt like the joke was, you know, I wasn't telling you to stop playing basketball to play football. So, <laughs> <laughs> and so now I, I point, I got the point. I don't need to do it again to recognize that I'm not supposed to be here to just dominate in sports, and I'm supposed to use sports for greater good. I get it leave my legs alone you know what I mean? <laughs> we're good here yeah you know so uh that's, we'll see you on the golf course next yeah no I'm just, <laughs> i don't listen i still i still haven't listened but what i have learned is not to try to prove my entire worth 
through sports. Mm-hmm. That's what, and I, I think that I think that um is one of the things, and I, I cover that with uh a lot of my athletes as far as identity is concerned. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, you're up with being an athlete, and you know, what does that mean if you're not if you don't show up as that? If that's not your archetype, you don't show up as the athlete archetype. Do you have anybody else to show up in this place? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, if that's the only thing, what happens when the athlete? gets injured and you no longer have that archetype now are you just a shell of this athlete now and, and, and this is a real thing for people who are huge you know what i mean it's because i don't know where else you get some of the things that you get out of being an athlete you know what i'm saying the overall adoration from a bunch of people and that's on one side on the other side is like look we walked into a gym where it was thousands of people and all of them wanted us to lose right and so you don't get that either. Like, mm-hmm. even though like you don't get like this, I'm walking into an away game and like people are there cheering on me to lose. And like the they, intensity of that. Yeah. And they threatening me. They saying that they're going to do something to me when we're on our way to the bus. And he's talking about this. And there's a lot of things that's going on with being an athlete that I think from that, the intensity that you get it at, once you stop that no longer, you don't get those stimulations no more. And so if you become very conditioned to having those and your ego is wrapped up in that identity, it's just not a lifelong identity. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It can be, but not at the extent that it is for young men who get, or young men and women who get in it for um, some of those reasons. But everybody don't get into sports for those, some of those reasons. Some people are into sports for much less than what we think is the glamorous things. Far more people that play sports are former athletes than for the glamorous things. Because there's some sports that don't get no glamour. Nobody's in there watching except the parents, you know? Right. But at the same time, when you're in sports and it's just the parents there, sometimes that's the only time people get their parents to cheer for them. Sometimes, mm-hmm. it, and on the flip side, sometimes is their parents are the most toxic people in the world. Like, you know, trying to get you to be the best, trying to beat your time by two point, like point hundreds of a second. Mm-hmm. And it's too much. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So like, there's balances to it. And by no means is sports a perfect methodology for mental health. But being that you can get in the pool and swim your problems away for two hours, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And this is not, this is a healthy form of disassociation. Mm -hmm. So you can actually disassociate by doing this. And that's what I think I did for as long as I played basketball, I just didn't know it. Mm -hmm. So same swimming. (laughs) So in, in that, so Dr. Bruce Perry, talks about pattern repetitive rhythmic movement which swimming is wow which running is which all it is is just yeah pattern repetitive rhythmic movement and so if you add water to that then you have another effect of calming the nervous Mm -hmm. system regulating the nervous system and the brain to where when you get out of there you get out of the pool you're refreshed and you have a way clearer mind even if you got to go back into some shit you know what i mean even mm-hmm. if you get out of there and like oh shit i gotta go back into this it's fine you're at a much higher state of being able to perceive being able to you know deal with whatever is going on and by by all means until like the you out of the situation that becomes the way that you get through it you know mm-hmm. just you know, to go to practice every day and have a regular a routine of regular regulation. 
you got to regulate regularly. And if you're on a sports team, you must regulate regularly because you got to go do laps. You got to go do warm-ups. You got to go do this pattern repetitive. your lift. Regardless. The yeah. whole whole sports environment is about pattern repetitive rhythmic movement. Now, if sports was the end-all, be-all cure, you wouldn't have so many athletes who have mental health issues. So mm-hmm. it by itself, pattern repetitive rhythmic movement by itself doesn't really absolve you of mental health issues, but it helps. Mm-hmm. So That's really interesting. The pattern repetitive movement and just your journey connecting back to movement and the overuse and the underuse of the muscles and then tying that to the trauma response. The one thing that's coming to mind that I'm curious about, and maybe you've had experience with this or you're studying it, but in the pattern repetitive mu- movement, and maybe this is more of a post-athletic journey exercise, but in the pattern repetitive movement, embracing like the new belief systems or like the new neural networks in, I don't know if you can do that while you're in the active sport or if this could be like post post transition, but it just feels like something of using the pattern repetitive movement and like welcoming whatever that new and slawing off the, the old identity. There's just something there that's curious to me. Absolutely. Thank you. So I think the pattern repetitive, so when we say repetitive, okay, we could say that is in uh, like we're doing a set of weights, mm-hmm. say reps. That's what reps is. is re- Could, would you consider walking? Yes, absolutely. Like I was thinking of walking. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you could, so you could do these things and actually integrate a lot of the mental concepts into physical movements of pattern repetitive rhythmic movement i'll give you an example Mm -hmm. i have my athletes or my clients uh do an exercise Mm -hmm. they'll come up with a 10 word affirmation i give them a template they'll come up with a 12 word affirmation i'll give them a template they'll come up with a 20 word affirmation i'll give them a template okay so the vast majority of my exercises, you have to do 10 rep 12 rep or 20 rep exercises we just don't count them you say your affirmation. Okay. So like if you get to doing a bicep curl and we're talking about something that you say I am and you you tell me all the things that you want to be known as or want to be seen as and you're having to wreck these out, you're not only saying it phys- mentally in your head, you're physically anchoring those into growing muscles and cells, which means like if you add muscle, while we're doing these exercises over the course of time, those muscles and new cells that were created out of this pattern repetitive rhythmic movement are now embedded in the new muscle mass that you grew. And adding to that, like the the amount of water that's a part of your blood and like the energetics of the water in your blood going into that, that's what I'm picturing. I, I When I go into the ocean, I imagine that all my cells are having a refresh of the DNA and it's like the water and the cells and the mantra. And it's just a really beautiful, it feels a little kooky, but I'm like pulling from the sun in the water and it just feels so supercharged. That's what that reminds me of. And then you're talking about that with the cells and the muscles. It's like the whole next level of that. Yeah. And talk about the beat, like who you're becoming and like your new being, if you're infusing that with, with that, that's quite powerful. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and that's and that's it. That's that's what we do. Um, I'm trying to 
I call them board affirmations because I give them, uh, they have a B, which is who, who you are, the I am affirmations. Mm -hmm. The do I will, which is objective. Mm -hmm. uh, then there is the resilience affirmation, the excellence affirmation, and then the definite purpose affirmation. So these are board affirmations that they got to do during reps or when they're bored. You got to give some one of these affirmations. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like that is one of the ways that you can integrate pattern, repetitive rhythmic movement and couple that with affirmations. And you can anchor these new thoughts and feelings into these movements. And because you have to do this challenging because I think it's challenging to recite affirmations. It's not the easiest thing to worry. You can do it one or two days, but to make a habit of it, I think it's very challenging. Mm -hmm. And um, especially when, when you wrote the affirmation down versus when it's time for you to recite it and you don't feel that way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm feel weak. And you know what I mean? And so it's feel like this is contradictory thing. You feel stupid for saying it. Yeah. And then you do it anymore. Faking. And, yeah. And so what I like to do, that's why I like to incorporate it into exercises, especially with me being a trainer, because if you show up, you're going to be with me anyway. And you're going to do those reps and you're going to say this and you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. You're going, I'm going to give you a weight. And when you get to the end of that 10, after, 10 word affirmation, you're going to have to push that shit out. You're going to have to, you you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's what, and I, I feel like that's what it is. It's the resistance that builds the strength. And so, in essence, we'll take what happened to us and make it make us better. And that's the transmutation. I, that's what I'm here for. That's why he came to my house. Right? right? Yeah. You know what I mean? That's, just, that's where I'm at at this point. It's like, and yeah. so when you just said what you said about being in the ocean, when you talked about the transformation, what I saw at that point was the alchemist, if you've ever read it. So right then, Santiago is talking to the moon. I mean, talking to the sun, talking to the wind, talking to the desert. That's where I'm always at anytime I'm at the ocean or I'm at these places where all these forces are happening and I'm asking them to work with me for whatever it is that I'm, you know what I'm saying, doing and helping me process whatever it is I'm processing. But it's that total uh, connection to, to the elements. It all. It's, yeah, you know, the soul of the universe, so to speak. And I feel like that is why I like working with the brain because everybody has one. And this is where no matter what your color, creed, beliefs and stuff are, I can tell you where those things resided in the brain. I know exactly which part of the brain it resides in. That doesn't develop before your brain stem develops. Trust me, like how you react and respond and are triggered to, that is far more embedded in you than your actual belief. And so, yes, yeah, so I can bypass a lot of things that people, you know, think or think they believe or, you know, think they understand why they believe a certain belief. I'm like, eh, well, according to the brain facts, this is, <laughs> it's true because you want it to be true because you, you're conditioned for it to be true, but it's not necessarily true and it doesn't have to be. And it could be a totally different truth if you had a different experience coming up. And so like, I'm allowing people to have whatever beliefs that they have is based on their, uh, not I mean, not just their conditioning, but their upbringing and their experiences. Those and all specific that. experiences. Yeah. And if they don't have any exposure to anything else, then they can't reach those thoughts until they are exposed to them. And they got to go through their cognitive dissonance. They got to accept it or they don't and mm -hmm. all that. So I leave people to their journeys and I feel like everybody's journey will lead them to where they're supposed to go. And 
people that's supposed to go the way that they're supposed to go, they'll stay on their journey and people get off of them. What I try to do is make sure anybody that crosses my journey, we make them better or me better or both of us better or I'm just going to go around. <laughs> uh, there's so many gems I know we're coming to time one thing I just want to highlight you know we started talking about some of your journey and parents and I think we're similar ages you know I believe deeply that our parents all have done the best job they could have in that exact moment and I, I think this is like a beautiful thing to illustrate because that can happen and other things can still happen that like could be causing the child duress independent of what the parents ever wanted. And uh, I don't know, I've gone through this in my own life where it's like, I'm processing all the things that I've gone through. My parents did the best that they could. It's not to guilt and shame the parents. You're now a parent. You're doing this ancestral healing for your kid. It, it's just so interesting how, I guess it's just the family line and just bringing that it's everything that we've talked about today. There feels like a very strong, like sacred and reverence to what we've discussed. It's been very beautiful uh, that I just wanted to spotlight that. And also you have a few different products and services. I can spotlight them if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, you have your free dope coach practice dope on purpose fundraiser t-shirt and the dope coach, dope parent training workshops, dope athletic training and mentorship. I just feel like you're such an expert and master. And I can only imagine where this like exponential rocket ship is taking you. That's what it feels like to me, especially some of the uh, shifts that you've recently gone through. And uh, we'll definitely include a link to your website. And I just want to give you the last moment to share any final thoughts to ground today's episode. Yeah, I appreciate you for bringing the parent thing up because I love to talk about it, how I how I say it. But I have a deep appreciation for my parents and whatever they, they've gone through um, because I think they, they taught me a lot regardless of what I felt like. Again, I started with, like, I know I absolutely know they love me. Mm-hmm. And the they have done a great job of helping me be who I, whoever I want to be. You know what I mean? So um, I just like to say that that was my, that was a good analogy that I came up with in order to get started. Mm -hmm. But I don't feel like I would have the capacity to go through all the things that I I went through in the healing process if I didn't have that uh, foundation from them, Mm -hmm. at least, you know, from the beginning. And also be able to, uh, use them as uh, reference points for uh, what what needs to happen and, and healing points, and they 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 don't take it any type of way. They they are very proud of me and what I do, and mm-hmm. I try not to throw them under the bus too much. But <laughs> um, but I do recognize that just the overall ignorance of mental health and things that could be detrimental to us, and um, we didn't know it. You know, I mean, it could be parents and tactics. It could be just cultural things that, mm-hmm. you know, our parents just was just knew at the time that was mm-hmm. right. They thought mm-hmm. that they were doing the right thing. And in all, for, I think they pretty much were for the most part. But once I realized what the effects were of certain, mm-hmm. then I'm like, okay, like I'm not doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's no not to what they did or, or whatever. It's just, you know, I got YouTube now and I, I researched some effects and I, I watched some things. And it's like you're setting your standards. Yeah. And and, and they're from and they're based in knowledge, they're based in, in, in research and mm-hmm. uh 
Yeah, I don't have no shade towards them. And I think Right. that, In like time, like we know, like you said, we know a lot more now than we did yeah, ever. yeah, I don't, I don't, but I, but I, I do, I did want to elaborate on that because I do sometimes talk about it in the way that I talk about it. Like, but I try not, I try to make sure the trauma, because I do talk a lot about childhood trauma and there's a lot of abuse and there's a lot of neglect in that. And so I didn't have those big things from my parents so to speak right Mm -hmm. and so because I work with kids who have some very dark dark situations that they come from I know I'm blessed to have the parents that I had and the upbringing that I had so um yeah no I, I I'm trying to get the parents to get as much information and education as possible so they can better help their kids and themselves and Well, and, I and think that's a huge part, I think, for parents when they haven't done the work and then they're seeing issues with their kids for the first time. And it's like that their own activation through some of those instances with their kids that can bring up a lot. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting how all this comes to the surface on what timeline. And it's like we don't get to know when the next layer, next thing's going <laughs> to pop up. It's like the whack-a-mole. It's like, really? We're doing this right now? What? Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> You know, and we take we take those things that we do when we do them, and just when it comes along, we have to handle it there. And I think, I think that's the beauty of life, honestly. Like that's one of the beauties of life, and the fact that the guy was only thirty three years old, and I'm I'm thirty seven now. I'll be thirty eight this month. But it's funny I didn't say this, but when when I turned thirty three, it's when I had the hardest trigger. Because I, that's when I realized I felt like I wasn't, um, I think I felt guilty for being 33 in, in a very irrational way, very emotional way. When that birthday was coming up, I was triggered for that birthday before, like how I usually triggered around Christmas, but I never been triggered around my birthday before or after that time. Mm-hmm. But it was such a reminder of the December trigger that that was the year I felt like I had to get help. And maybe six months later was the whole pregnancy ACL thing. Wow. Wow. 33 was wow. very transformative for me because I couldn't get away from it. And, uh, and I, you know, Nipsey Hussle, he died at 33, the same year we was the same age. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kobe died the last day before I turned 34. So like the entire year was like, sudden early death mm-hmm. and meaning behind I yeah so when I say my first year going through that whole thing was was like the diff- most difficult one it was like but it also led me to the uh I, I think the the knowledge that take me through and I think I'm good as far as like that situation is concerned it's taken mm-hmm. <laughs> over two decades but <laughs> um what I learned in those two decades, I can share. And there's no telling how far that goes. And there's no telling who that touches or who that helps. Um, and I'd be okay if I don't know until the next lifetime how far it goes. Like, if I, if I find out the next time, I'm like, damn, I did all that. Like, yes. That <laughs> cool. Yeah. But now I don't know. It's like, yeah, let it happen. And, you know, let it go as far as it can go. So that's where I'm at. Thank you. Thank you so much for having Thank me. you, Martin. Wow. A lot of gems here. We'd love to have you back and unpack some more. And this this was really supportive. So thank you. And everyone listening, I hope you got what you needed. And we'll see you next time on the Leela Life Show.
Thanks for tuning into our show today. Please like, share, subscribe, send to a friend, give the review. And always, if you have feedback, we want to hear team at lelalife.co. Feel free to email us and follow us on social. You can reach us there. Sending you blessings as always. Much love.